Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Next week, we begin a brand new three-week series called The Jesus Series. Who He Was, What He Said, and Why He Died. And we are so looking forward to that series. We've absolutely loved this series, Half Truths. Uh, This is something we've been doing for the last four weeks, and we have just got incredible feedback from so many of you. Uh, We so appreciate the encouragement because it's so helpful for us as we plan and dream creative series for the future to know what is connecting and what is resonating. So thanks for the encouragement and the feedback. Two years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs were hosting the Houston Texans in the divisional round of the AFC playoffs. And by the end of the first quarter, the Kansas City Chiefs were behind 24 to zero. Now, through inspired play, and of course, the right arm of Patrick LeVon Mahomes, the Chiefs ended up winning the game by three touchdowns. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Well, it's obvious, right? It's because God likes the Chiefs more than he likes the Texans. Okay, we laugh about this, we joke about this, but let me ask you another question. What about the horrible Super Bowl from this past February where the Antichrist Tom Brady and the Bucks beat the Chiefs 31 to 9? Does God like Tom Brady more than the Chiefs? Of course not, because the Bible says God is light and in him is no darkness at all, so he is incapable of doing something like that. Now, This is funny, until we get into the more serious aspects of our lives. Is God controlling? Does everything happen for a reason? Last week, I took my kids uh, swimming at Sarah's grandmother's house. And Ivy's in the pool, and she's kind of playing on the step with a a mermaid uh, that just got eaten by a dog. Um, So it's a little bit of a sore subject. So I'm kind of playing with Dex a little bit. Dex is kind of getting ready to run back into the pool. And he's got his goggles on so he can't see as well. And then his foot slips and he hits his hip on the side of the pool and he falls in. He swims to me immediately. I take off his goggles and it reveals his tears. And he is so sad. He cries and he says, Dad, why didn't Jesus protect me? I thought he was supposed to protect me. Well, son, sometimes in life, bad things happen. I just heard a story on Sunday at class how Jesus was with three guys in the fire and he protected them. Why doesn't he protect me? Well, Dex, that that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, is found in the book of Daniel. Well, why doesn't he just protect everybody all the time? It's a great question, son. Now, unbeknownst to him, my son is, was asking one of the most deepest and philosophical and theological questions of all time. Now, Dex isn't the only philosopher at our church. You have asked this question as well. I'd venture that we have all stepped into this arena when we experience or when we see great suffering. Most often, when we see intense suffering of others, we want to explain it. So we say things like, someday you'll be glad it happened. It was part of the plan. God is up to something. God doesn't make mistakes. It was just their time. There's still a silver lining. Wouldn't it be great to see how God uses that? God's ways are not our ways. In all these statements, it's just another way of saying everything happens for a reason. And as with other half-truths, when we say this, when we hear this, it's coming from a good place. 
It's coming from a place to try to give hope in the midst of despair and desolation. It is trying to give peace in the midst of turmoil. It's trying to give comfort in the midst of suffering. But in reality, I believe that it is trying to find good in evil, and there isn't. After 9-11, I read of an article about a man who, due to some freak circumstances, his power turning off at night, his alarm not waking him up, his child breaking a bowl, and a tree falling down overnight on the street that where he takes to get to the freeway. And because of all these fluke things, he misses his flight. And that flight was American Airlines Flight 11, the first plane to crash into the World Trade Center. His family and friends declared it was God saving him. It was God intervening so he did not get on that flight. I read another article. This one was written by a widow who due to fluke scenarios and circumstances, including a canceled and rescheduled flight, he made it onto United Airlines Flight 175, which was the second plane to crash into the World Trade Center. God miraculously intervening to prevent tragedy for one person and miraculously intervening to enact a tragedy in another. I think that there are several problems with the half-truth. Everything happens for a reason. Now, I want to give this disclaimer. I could be wrong, okay? I know wonderful, Christ-like, godly men who love Jesus, who love the scriptures, who would disagree with what I'm about to say. For them, everything happens for a reason is a statement of their trust in God's providence, God's sovereignty, and God's ultimate goodness. I see it differently. The first problem, I believe, is the problem of personal responsibility. If we examine the notion that everything happens for a reason, it eliminates the concept of personal responsibility to our actions. If everything happens according to God's immutable plan, then whatever I do must be God's will. God isn't going to change it. In fact, God must have needed me to do it. God must have wanted me to do it. Otherwise, God wouldn't have let it happen. I was counseling parents of a high school student many years ago, and they were trying to figure out how to handle a very difficult situation in their family. Their teenage daughter was pregnant. They said to me, we just don't understand why God would do this. And I was polite in the moment, but a thought crossed my mind. I suppose there is a precedent for a virgin birth, but I don't think God did this. I think there were other people that did something to make this happen, right? The, the book of Proverbs says this, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? There are natural consequences to the choices we make. That's not God, that's life. Perhaps you yourself have experienced this. This everything happens for a reason. It might be true, but sometimes the reason is you made a bad choice and now there are consequences to your actions. The second problem with this half-truth is the problem of God's responsibility. There's, there's personal responsibility problem and then there is a God responsibility. If everything happens for a reason, then it makes God responsible for everyone's actions. If God actually intended everything to happen, then God is responsible for all the terrible things that happen in our life and in our world. It would mean that tragedies don't happen in spite of God's will, 
but because of God's will. If this way of thinking is true, then every rape, every murder, every act of child abuse, every war, every terrible storm, earthquake that claims people's lives, every child that dies of starvation is a part of God's plan. That is the awful truth that we must confront if we buy into the half-truth that everything happens for a reason. It sounds good. It looks good on a bumper sticker as long as you don't look at the horror of this world. As long as you don't experience the horror of this world. Do I have a moral repugnance at the thought that the evil in this world was given to us by God, was a part of God's plan? Yes, I do. I can't bear the thought that that, that building, that, that, that apartment complex in Miami that crashed and fell and collapsed, that that was part of God's plan. No, I, I, I can't believe that God gave my best friend's two-year-old a brain tumor. I can't accept that. It's repugnant to think that Jesus is doing that to teach us any kind of a lesson. There's no lesson acceptable for that kind of cruelty. There's no good reason for so many things in this world. But as a Christian, is that repugnance reason enough to not believe that God is behind something? I would say yes. I would say that's reason enough. Using the logic of love, I, I would say that's reason enough. But on top of that, we also find in the scriptures a, re a repudiation of this half-truth. Jesus shows us what God is like. So if you can't picture Jesus doing something, I believe that that's good enough reason to believe it. But on top of that, Jesus himself explicitly rebukes the suggestion of why certain tragedies happened. For example, when certain people speculated that Pilate's massacre of a group of Galileans served some kind of divine purpose, Jesus responded by asking them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. So whatever purpose led to the massacre of this uh, unfortunate people, they resided in Pilate, not in God. God didn't cause that massacre. Along the same lines, in response to this crowd's belief in natural disasters being part of God's plan, there was a tower that killed 18 people. And Jesus says, or those 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you too will all perish. Instead of getting involved in the misguided calculation or speculation about what purpose God had in having these people die, Jesus instructs them to rather focus in on their own lives, turn their own lives around. Now, there are some verses within the scriptures that can lead us to think and assume that everything happens for a reason. And the most famous, by far, is Romans 8.28. You've heard it before. You may have quoted it before. In the King James Version, written roughly 500 years ago, it says it this way, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. I believe that this is a great example of where translation plays a crucial role in our understanding of the divine. The King James Version was the first authorized English translation of the Bible. And it renders the verse, we know that in all things, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And this can be interpreted as all things, like good and bad, happen, they all happen for a reason. Uh, they all, but it all works together for the good. 
Since this was the only English Bible for about 400 years, this became the dominant way to interpret this passage of Scripture. We can see how this line of, of thinking has really influenced other translations, more recent translations. The NRSV says this, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. The NLT says it even more clearly, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And now it's God's role, that good, bad, he's the one who causes them. It's a short step to everything happens for a reason. But let me offer an alternative translation. One found in the NIV translation. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. The difference can be found in this little preposition, these two tiny letters, I and N, in. There's a grand canyon of difference between all things working together and God working in all things. The NIV says that no matter what happens, good or bad, explainable or unexplainable, God is at work in them. God is working through even the most tragic in terrible situations to bring about good. The, the grammatical difference is small, but the theological difference is enormous. God is not causing these bad things. God is not causing these evil in our lives. God is not causing the suffering in your life, but God can and does still work in and through that suffering. He's big enough to do it. Believers are not promised everything works out for us. Instead, we're challenged to be God's coworkers, bringing about good purposes in the world in the midst of suffering. This week has been a very difficult week. Last Sunday at 11 a.m., I received a message online uh, from one of our missionaries in Malawi, Africa. This missionary is a close friend of mine in that when Sarah and I had been going through difficult times uh, 15 years ago with a church transition, uh, these men gathered family and friends together to pray for us. Uh, they are some of the greatest people I've ever met. So my brother, my friend, Mike, this Malawian, sends me a message and says, please pray for our son, Stanley. And he goes on to say that he has had heartache and dizziness and the doctors aren't quite sure what's wrong and there's a blood transfusion. Please let us know. And then 13 hours later, he said, my son, Stanley, is no more. God doesn't take children from their fathers. It's still hard for me to speak of this. It's not part of God's plan. We live in a fallen world where there is great suffering. God's will is not the only will at work in our world. <clears throat> there is human will and there is the will of supernatural evil. And there is so much collateral damage in this place we call Earth. God could have made a world where nothing bad happens. He could have, but he desired love, and there has to be a choice in regards to love. I could create a microchip, and I somehow uh, put it in Sarah's neck, and now she will do the most loving actions all the time. That no matter what, she always makes the wisest, best, godliest, most loving decision in our marriage, and uh, her and raising our kids, and she becomes the perfect wife. And for a while, I must say, it sounds pretty great, but it will ultimately become dissatisfying. Why? Because that's not love. That is a robot. She is not choosing me. God did not make robots. 
robots, love is not possible. God desires love. And by nature, that allows the possibility and perhaps the inevitability of evil. God says love is worth it. Life is worth it. So just because he's the creator doesn't mean we assign blame for what free people choose. Can we please stop calling the devil's best shots God's doing? It's not. Our hope is not that one day it will all make sense. Our hope is that the God of the universe will be with us no matter what. If you have ever been going through suffering, too heavy to bear, and someone says, it's okay. Everything happens for a reason. Does it bring you the comfort that they are hoping for? In the movie, Bruce Almighty, Jennifer Aniston, whose name is Grace, offers this word of comfort to uh, her uh, boyfriend, Bruce, in their apartment at the beginning of the movie when all of his life is breaking down. Check out this quick clip. Thank God you're all right. God, yeah, let's thank God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain! Bruce, please don't do that, honey. You know that everything happens for a reason. That I don't need. That is a cliche. That is not helpful to me. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I have no bird. I have no bush. God has taken my bird in my bush. Oh, I see. So, so God is picking on you? Is that what you're saying? No, he's ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving Evan everything he wants. Oh, that's great, Sam. But you missed your target. I'm over here! Don't get mad at the dog. It's not the dog's fault. No, it's God's fault. I gave him the wrong coordinates. All right, you know what? Enough. All right, will you just stop being such a martyr? I am not being a martyr. I'm a victim. God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. When you are going through it, the last thing you want to hear is everything happens for a reason. That's been my experience. And so what do we do? What do we say when we're trying to make sense of things that don't make any sense? What do we say to people who are experiencing the kind of suffering that is debilitating? This week, I got lost in a book. The book was written by an author by the name of Katie Bowler, and it's called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Believed. And she writes this book after and during when she is told that she has stage four terminal cancer. The book was a New York Times bestseller, and she ends the book with an appendix. And I'm gonna read you uh, the first appendix word for word. Uh, and it's not something you should do in a sermon, just like read from another book. Um, but I'm going to because A, she's a brilliant writer, and B, it is so very practical for us in life. And so she writes, absolutely never say this to people experiencing terrible times. A short list. Number one, well, at least, whoa, hold up there. Were you about to make a comparison? At least it's not what? Stage five cancer? Don't minimize. Number two, in my long life, I've learned that, geez, do you, you want a medal? I get it, you live forever. Well, some people are worried that they won't or that things are so hard that they won't want to. So ease up on the life lessons. Life is a privilege, not a reward. Three, it's going to get better, I promise. Well, fairy godmother, that's, that's going to be a tough road to hoe when things go badly. Number four, 
God needed an angel. This one takes the cake because A, it makes God look sadistic and needy, and B, angels are, according to the Christian tradition, created from scratch, not dead people looking for a cameo in Ghost. You see how confusing it is when we just pretend that the deceased returned to help you find your car keys or make pottery? Five, everything happens for a reason. When someone is drowning, the only thing worse than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason. Six, I've done some research and I thought I should listen to my oncologist and my nutritionist and my team of specialists, but it turns out that I should be listening to you. Yes, please tell me more about the medical secrets that only one flaxseed provider in Orlando knows. Wait, let me get a pen. Seven, when my aunt had cancer, my darling dear, I know you were trying to relate to me. Now you see me and you are reminded that terrible things have happened in the world, but guess what? That is where I live, in the valley of the shadow of death. But now I'm on vacation because I'm not in the hospital or dealing with my mess. Do I have to take my sunglasses off and join you in the saddest journey down memory lane? Or do you mind if I finish my mojito? And then number eight, so how are the treatments going? How are you really? This is the toughest one of all. I can hear you trying to understand my world and be on my side, but picture the worst thing that has ever happened to you. Okay, got it? Now try to put it in a sentence. Now say it out loud 50 times a day. Does your head hurt? Do you feel sad? Me too. So let's just see if I want to talk about it today because sometimes, sometimes I do. And sometimes I just want to hug and a recap of American Ninja Warrior. Isn't that great? It is so practical. It is so helpful. What a gift we have in the words of Katie Bowler. And then she does give a recommendation of, hey, try some of these things to say instead. She doesn't just end with don't say these. She gives you some options. She says, I'd love to bring you a meal this week. Can I email you about it? You are a beautiful person. I'm so grateful to hear how you're doing. Just know that I'm on your team. Can I give you a hug? Oh, my friend, that sounds so hard. And then finally, silence. Don't say anything. Show up and shut up. Let's not explain the suffering. Let's be love to the one enduring the suffering. The Jewish people had this concept called sitting shiva. And so when someone mourned, when someone was going through a loss of a loved one, you would go and sit shiva with them. You would just sit and weep alongside them. In the Jewish tradition, they also had hired mourners, people who were paid to go mourn with a family suffering. Not explain the suffering, not lessen the suffering, to mourn and come alongside of the suffering. As we end this series today, I'd like to give you a summary of the whole truths behind these half-truths. It's not God helps those who help themselves. It's God helps those who can't help themselves. It's not God won't give you more than you can handle, but God will help you handle all that you've been given. It's not love the sinner, hate the sin. It's just the first word, love. It's not everything happens for a reason. 
No. Life is messy. Life is hard. There will be suffering. But God is love. And he can and does work in the midst even of our suffering. He calls us to love the world who are hurting. So let's go do that. God, be with us. Help us to be comfort and to be love to those who are suffering. Help us to be held in your loving arms in the midst of our own suffering. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace and peace to you.